Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you have called us to be your ambassadors, to be a fully functioning embassy for your kingdom, to go out into the world, to be uh, reconcilers, to bring people to you and draw people to you through your gospel. Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us an anguish for those who do not know you, who are perishing. Lord, I I hope that you will help us. I, I ask that you would give us the strength to go out and with boldness uh, to reach the next generation for your glory and uh, for their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So before I get started, I wanted to take a, a moment to do something kind of fun, which might make some of you a little uncomfortable here, depending uh, on your age. Um, if you are between Uh, If you were born, rather, between 1930 and 1940, please raise your hand. Okay? And if you were born between uh, between 1940 and 1950, please raise your hand. All right? If If you were born between 1950 and 1960, please, please raise your hand. Okay? How about 19... 60 to 1970. All right, 1970 to 1980. Okay, 1980 to 1990. 1990 to 2000. A few in there. A few back here. I, I'm 1990 to 2000 as well. Um, how about uh, anybody that was born before 1980? Yeah, so most people here, and then anybody that was born after 1980. And then anybody that was born after 2000 would be Gen Zers. Yes. Thank you, my Gen Zers, my youth group. All right. <laughs> so the reason I do this is to show you that the majority of us here are not millennials, although we have some between 1980 and 2000 that are millennials. And I, I think when we look around this room, we would like to see more millennials in here. We would like to see the next generation filling our chairs, coming in here, becoming part of the life of the church, contributing to the church, growing in their faith, most importantly, accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, right? And being saved. So what is the key to evangelism? The key to reaching others with the gospel of God. This morning we will look at the unique challenge and opportunities of reaching my generation. And most millennials are very familiar with Christianity, but they don't necessarily know Jesus. And in our gospel reading this morning, actually in this gospel reading that I'll read for you, um, Jesus encountered contempt and rejection from his own hometown because of their familiarity with him and his family. So let's look at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. If you have your Bibles in front of you, there should be one under your chair. You can open it up and follow along. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, which if you guys are looking for a new translation to try, the New Living Translation is great. 
Um, and even the people that really like the NASB and the ESV, the more conservative literal translations, a lot of them actually really like the NLT as well. So if you're looking for a new translation to check out, I highly recommend it. So I will begin. Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6. Jesus left that part of the country, that's Capernaum, and he, re- he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? When they scoffed, he just—oh, then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own people. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Verses 1 through 2, Jesus arrives in his hometown of Nazareth after casting out legions of demons. He does that in Mark chapter 5. And after that, he heals a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years and who has had numerous uh, doctors working with her. And she's spent everything she's had to try to get better, and she's only gotten worse. And he heals her, right? And then, and he's on his way to bringing a little girl back from the dead. So I think his resume is pretty impressive even at this point, right? (laughs) He's already done some pretty impressive things. And so he gets to his hometown, but they reject him. But why do they reject him? So on the Sabbath, Jesus goes in and and he preaches to them, and they're all amazed at his teachings. They hear his teaching and experience his miracles, and they likely heard about everything he'd been doing before. But let's look at verse 3. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Why do they reject him? Because of their familiarity with Jesus. The people of Nazareth are deeply offended at him and refuse to believe in him. Jesus comes in humility Though he is fully God, he's fully God, he's not part God, he's not like half God or something, he's not a demigod, he's not Hercules. Jesus is fully God and fully man, right? And so he comes to his hometown, or he's born in Bethlehem, right? And, but he grows up in Nazareth, and he comes to his hometown where he had grown up, and the people know him and his family, and because of this, they cannot believe that he would be the long-awaited Messiah. They're expecting somebody else. It can't be this guy. It can't be the guy that we knew. We know his family. He's just, kinda, he's just a carpenter. He's just an average Joe. How could he be the Messiah? How could he be doing all these miracles? And so they kind of just disregard him. And, and they're, they're actually offended at what he's, he's proclaiming. And I know in my own life, if, if I go back to my hometown, which I haven't been back to for a while, I actually got invited to a, a reunion, a 10-year reunion, uh, not that long ago. Um, or I guess, would that be a 10-year? I don't know. But <laughs> um, I was invited back to my hometown to come and visit. And uh, I couldn't go because, you know, all the way down here in Texas. But anyways, the fact of the matter is, when I go back home to my hometown and I, and I see people, because I, I, ha- I do once in a while, we're planning on going back this year, and I run into my friends and stuff, it's always interesting interacting with them because they see who I was in high school 
and they look at like my life then, and then they look at me today, and they're like, what do you do? What do you do for a living today? And I'm, I'm saying, well, I'm a, I'm a priest. They're like, really? I'm like, that's kind of a weird job for you. Um, and so when I go back home, it's always kind of an interesting encounter uh, with all the people uh, that I grew up with. And, but Jesus didn't have the same background that I did. Like, he wasn't a little sinner. Like, like when, he, when he grew up, he didn't sin at all. Like, even as a child, he never did anything sinful. And so you'd think that maybe people would have noticed that, right? Like, he was, he was this upstanding, really perfect person. But apparently, their familiarity trumps the fact that they had seen him growing up as this perfect kid, right? And, um, and so, anyways, continuing on. Uh, because of their familiarity, they reject him. Uh, he comes in, humili- in humility, and because of this, they cannot believe that he is expected Messiah. Most millennials in America have grown up with churches all around them and have become familiar with Christianity, but this familiarity can lead to contempt. So they look around and they see the church, right? They, most Americans grow up with a church with at least one or two churches in their town, right? And so a lot of times we grow up and we have encounters with the church, but we don't necessarily have encounters with Jesus. And sometimes you see those bumper stickers around town which say, Lord, save us from your followers, right? And those just break my heart to see those bumper stickers. Because I think a lot of times people really do have a hole in their heart where they want to know God and they they do want to know Jesus. But sometimes the very vehicle for the gospel, which is the church, we're supposed to be going out and sharing the gospel, right? Individually, we're ambassadors proclaiming the gospel, sharing the truth with people. Even though we're supposed to be the vehicle for the gospel, sometimes we actually become the obstacle for the gospel because of our own lives, because of hypocrisy, because of judgment, being judgmental. Sometimes instead of being helpful in sharing the gospel, we actually become hurtful. And uh, uh, Father Jonathan brought up the other day Jerry Falwell, and as much as I love the guy because he built Liberty University and and I went there for a few years and studied at, at the seminary at Liberty, um, he did say some hurtful things. And, and those hurtful things do stick with people. And, um, and we got to be mindful of what we say because the things we say leave lasting impressions on people, especially if they didn't grow up in the church, especially if they don't know their Bibles, especially um, if they come from a background where they, they, they don't really know much about the church. If this is their first interaction and they're hearing these kind of things— can be very hurtful. And so we need to be mindful of that. We, we, um, millennials were surrounded by billboards, signs, buildings, crosses, and all the while missing out on having a real encounter with the risen Lord in a personal relationship with him. Let's look at verses four through six. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Jesus does what he can with his, his unbelieving hometown. So he's, he's teaching and he heals a few people that are willing to respond to him in faith. But the Nazarenes expected someone else to be their savior. They were familiar with him and his family, In a a similar way, I think we millennials have become so familiar with Christianity that sometimes we miss Jesus. We get so familiar with the political agendas of Christianity. We get so 
uh, familiar with the, uh, the, the things that we consider judgmental or whatever else. Because of that, sometimes we miss Jesus because we are so distracted by the church or Christianity. So let's look at some things as far as application. This gospel reading from Mark 6, 1 through 6 is discouraging, right? Jesus shows up in his hometown and the gospel falls on deaf ears. He's not really able to do much there. And so he continues on and, and he sends out the disciples two by two and they go out and they cast out demons and they anoint the sick and, and they do all this amazing stuff, right, later. But, but his hometown is really kind of a discouraging place. We see that Jesus' hometown is inoculated against him because of their over-familiarity with him. And today, we face similar challenges because of millennials' familiarity with Christianity. Millennials can't interact with Jesus face-to-face the same way that, you know, people in Nazareth were interacting with Jesus face-to-face. The way they interact with Jesus is often through his church. It's through you and me. We are the hands and feet of Jesus on earth right now. And so the way that we live and the way that we behave will directly impact the way that they view the church and may even impact the way they view Jesus. Today, only about one in three millennials attend church. And of those one in three, most only attend church about once or twice a month. Most have decided that Jesus and his church have nothing to offer them. They go other places. They go to the Buddhist temples or they focus on other healing and health things that they can do or they, you know, go to other spiritual retreat centers. Um, I know I have family members who've gone to those like smoke lodges or whatever you call them where you kind of, you go, I don't even know. But, <laughs> but there's a lot of things that you could do that are spiritual, quote, spiritual in this world, but they're not salvific. They don't necessarily offer salvation. They may claim to, but the difference between everything else in the world, Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to be saved. And part of the problem, I believe, is that they have encountered churches or religion, but they have not really truly encountered Jesus. They assume that they have heard it all before, and they have test-driven Christianity, and it's not for them. Some people will go to church for years. They grow up in church. Lots of people are leaving the church. They hit college, and they don't come back to church at all. And I think the part of the reason for that is they've tried out church, and for whatever reasons, they've decided not to come back. We cannot expect millennials to simply attend church the way the generations before us did. They simply do not see the need to attend church and think we attend church only in an attempt to be good people. Have you ever had that when you invite somebody to the church and they say, well, I don't really go to the church. I don't need to go to the church to be a good person. Can I see a raise of hands? Anybody ever hear people say that, those exact words? Yeah, some of you are like, oh yeah, <laughs> like I know exactly what you're saying. Um, the problem is we don't go to the church to be good people. We don't go to the church to be good people. The reason we go to the church is because we are grateful people. We go to the church, the reason we are here is to glorify God, to lift him up and to praise him that he has saved us from our sins. And we are all sinners. But when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And because of that, we can know that we're saved. It puts us all on an equal playing field. I know a lot of times I'll, I'll get hate mail on, on Facebook because I post things, and sometimes they're, they're kind of gaslighting comments, I know. But um, 
when I post those things and I get those reactions, I always try to remind people, what I'm doing here isn't to be hateful. What I'm doing here is to tell you that we are all sinners. And the things that we are doing in this life directly impact us. It impacts our relationship with God and can alienate us from God for eternity. And so what I'm trying to do is to draw us to God and to his word so that we will conform ourselves to him. And Christians, we're in the same boat. If we practice any kind of sexual immorality or anything, we are the same. We are completely um, alienating ourselves from God the same way. And so it's important for us to look at uh, sin equally, knowing that they impact us. Sin impacts us differently. There's different consequences for different sins, right? Murder is not the same as stealing a candy bar, right? But at the same time, when you sin, all of your sins will alienate you from God because we serve a holy God. Many millennials assume that Christians go to church to be good people. But the Bible teaches that no one is good apart from God. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're taught that we are all dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. Not sort of dead, not hurting, not just kind of incapacitated. Like, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And because of that, because we are dead in our trespasses and sins, we are under condemnation, and there is no hope for us apart from Jesus Christ. And so, no, we don't go to the church to be good people. We go to the church because we're grateful people, and because we're saved people, and because we want to glorify God because he's saved us from death and eternal alienation from heaven and eternal salvation. So I'm going to give you six practical ways that we can reach my generation. The first one is inclusion. We want to know that we are on the inside and have a say. If we are not included in decisions and plans, we will likely go somewhere else. And one of the things I love about Christ Church Anglican is since I've been here, I've seen um, millennials getting involved on vestry, which is very important. I've seen millennials getting involved in our youth ministry. Thank you, Larian. I have seen lots of people, uh, lots of millennials coming in and getting involved. And, and uh, Michelle Stillwell, I think you're a millennial in there too. You're, you're probably 29, right? Yeah, okay. Um, and so, <laughs> so anyways, we have people coming in now that are doing so much great stuff that are millennials. And, I, and, and that inclusion means a lot to us because if you do not include us, we'll go somewhere else. And that's the next point, is service. We want to serve. We want to have meaning. We want to contribute. Millennials, we have been, we're, that's part of our culture as millennials, is that we want to contribute. We want to be part of stuff. Although we want to learn, we don't just want another Bible study. We want to be a church in action. You can go and study the Bible at a lot of churches. Churches are offering Bible studies every Wednesday night all over town, and they all have their own spin and interpretation on the scriptures. And millennials will tell you that. And they'll be like, well, that church teaches this, and this church teaches that. What millennials really want to see is a church in action. We need to share the gospel clearly with them and invite them with us so that we can go repair houses, feed the sick, help the hurting, you know, whatever we can do to contribute in our community to make a difference. The third one is connection. We are hungry for an authentic community where we are not simply told that we are loved, but we are shown that we are actually liked. One of the most important things that his name is Pastor John. Aaron remembers him. I don't know if she's out there sitting in the congregation somewhere. No, she's not. She's probably in the nursery. But anyways, uh, we had a pastor, Pastor John, and he was a great preacher. One of the things he said is, God doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. And that really bothered me for a while because I was like, how can God like me? 
Like, I know he loves me the same way I love other people. Like, you need, they're on the street corner, and you help them, and you have compassion, and you give them food, or you give them money, or whatever you need to help them, right? And uh, I was like, maybe God loves me like that, but does he actually like me? Does he actually want to spend time with me? You know, and I think millennials are asking that question too. When they come to our church, do we actually like them? Will we actually have, you know, lunch with them or dinner with them and invite them to be part of our lives? And will we get involved with their lives? Will we invite them into small groups? Will we go and serve with them? Will we do intentional things to be part of their lives? That connection is such an important thing to reach millennials. Being intentional about diversity. We value diversity and are often drawn to places where there is a blend of ages, skin colors, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Millennials often see this as a sign of church vitality. So a church that has different skin colors and and different socioeconomic statuses, it says that we are willing to go outside our bubbles. That we're not not racist, we're not, you know, uh, cut off, and we're not ignorant. That we actually want to learn about other people. We want to learn about other cultures. And we realize that the kingdom is bigger than our little local church. And so if we reach out and bring people in, which I think we do pretty well at Christ Church. We have a lot of people here that have come in from the community. And as long as we keep reaching out and bringing people in from ba- different backgrounds, that says a lot to reach millennials. Adopting technology. Since I've been here in the last two years, our technology has come a long way. Our website is so much better than it was. We, can, we now have live streaming and everything else. And uh, if you don't have a good website— Millennials church shop online first, first before they actually attend your church. It's just what we do. And when I was traveling with my wife, we didn't have much time to find a church. And so a lot of times we would look online, and if that church had a good website, had a good description, had a good belief statement, that kind of thing, we would usually check out the church. However, if that church didn't have a website, and if it was a, a junky website, and it was outdated and whatever else, we usually didn't even give that ch- church a try. So that's another thing that we need to do. Avoiding judgment is the last thing. I know that we can often come off as snowflakes, us millennials, and I've heard that. I I know it's true, but most of us already assume Christians are judgmental. Barna statistics show about 80 to 90 percent of millennials surveyed said that they find the church to be judgmental and hypocritical. So we, uh, we will often attend churches with our defenses up, and if we feel that we are being judged or alienated, we will likely not come back. At least half of millennials have tattoos. I actually have tattoos. I I know some of you know that. Some of you don't know that, but I do. I have tattoos. I'm in the army. Anyways, (laughs) most millennials drink and dance. About 70% of millennials will actually drink hard liquor and wine and stuff like that. Um, Many of us wear different clothing, makeup, hairstyles. We'll have different hair colors. And about 9% of us are part of the LGBTQ community. And this is something that churches will need to to know how to engage. Uh, We need to engage it in a biblical way, but we need to engage it. If we don't engage it, we're going to be losing about 10% of millennials. And we can't afford to do that. We need to be reaching everyone, regardless of orientation or background. Somehow we need to be reaching them in a biblical way. And so this is something that churches will need to engage. We are the largest generation in history, and we are also proving to be the most difficult to reach with the gospel. But here is some good news. 
We are disenchanted with churches marketing Jesus. We, we don't want Jesus marketed like Nutella, right? Jesus is not the same as Nutella, and we don't want him marketed that way. <laughs> we want people to actually show us Jesus through their life and through their actions and through a real relationship with him. And this, is, this means that churches that are actually calling millennials to follow Jesus in an authentic and real discipleship way, which I know Father Henry, that's his vision, um, that will be more effective. We are more interested in authentic and humble churches that want to meet us where we are at and help us learn to be Christians. A lot of millennials, they were barely, they were barely raised in the church. Some of them didn't go to the church at all. A lot of them didn't go to the church at all. I mean, they may not know their Bible, and if they do know the Bible, it's usually like little quotations or excerpts, and they may not really understand how they interpret it from a biblical, uh, historic, traditional perspective. And so it's important for us to meet millennials where they're at. We can't assume that they know their Bibles. We can't assume they believe the Bible. We can't assume that they even believe in God. We need to meet them where they're at and help them to find God, help them to understand the Bible, help them to know the Bible for themselves, and to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Statistically, uh, we are actually more interested in churches with a sanctuary instead of an auditorium and churches that aren't just trying to be cool and trendy. Churches that try to be cool and trendy are actually sometimes more harmful than good to themselves. <laughs> we, we want a church that's authentic. If you're raising up disciples, sending them out, and serving the community, and preaching and teaching biblical truth, we're much more likely to come. And I'm glad we're building the new facility. I think it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. We're going to be more equipped to do wonderful ministry here. But we got to have the right heart. We got to have the right mind. And we got to have the right mission, which I know Father Henry has and is working with Rip right now to create some great small groups and do discipleship stuff. So we need to partner and, and make that happen. And the last thing, statistics show that we are actually very generous. And although most of us have school debt, which makes it harder to give, we do like to give financially to organizations that we really believe in. And that's one of the things, too, is people will stop giving to churches if they don't see the church doing anything like significant in the community. But they will give to a church that they believe is making a difference. They will give to a church that's helping. And so they will not only give financially, but a lot of them, because they can't give financially all the time because of school debt or whatever, um, they will like to help volunteer and be part of the, uh, to be part of the community and service. So we may be a very difficult generation with unique obstacles for reaching us, but we also have our unique strengths and contributions. If the church will be humble enough to meet us where we're at and bring us into the church in spite of all of our strange quirks, while my generation may be familiar with Christianity and most of us have certainly heard about Jesus, what we really want is to truly encounter the love of Jesus and to be invited into the active body of Christ. So let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the mission you've given us to be your ambassadors of reconciliation, to be an embassy for your kingdom on earth. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that well. I pray that you would help us to know how to engage and form relationships and connect with millennials and to bring in the next generation, Lord. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.